out here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the people that made The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we are looking at each other during yeah. <laughs> that episode. You look really crestfallen about that. <laughs> first time for The Discovery Show, we're looking at each other during. It's also the first time we've watched Ep together. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a little fun to see how someone else does their half of the show. Yeah. It's also fun, like, The Greatest Discovery is a podcast that is super timely compared to The Greatest Generation. Like, I think the last time we recorded The Greatest Generation was, like, a month ago. (laughs) And this episode, you know, will come out while we are in San Francisco getting ready for our big Greatest Generation Friendly Fire Sketchfest show. That's right. Well, we've... What we've learned is that uh, we'll take those recordings of Greatest Gen and then we'll put the hard drives into an oak barrel <laughs> to, yeah. to age for roughly a month. I find it, it gives the flavor, complexity. Yeah. Our, our listeners really appreciate that. Yeah. Better mouthfeel, you know? Yeah, but uh, what we're making right now is like... Uh, is like the white whiskey. <laughs> yeah, this is this, this is, is uh, moonshine. This is uh just it's just a mason jar yeah. and a nondescript liquid inside. <laughs> you know, sometimes you throw a little uh, fruit in there to give it some flavor. It'll really degrease uh an automobile engine. <laughs> yeah. You can disinfect a wound with right. <laughs> with what we're doing right here right now. <laughs> So yeah, like this, you know, this is a this is a show that we <laughs> we cannot we we cannot prepare for. When we were first conceiving of the greatest discovery, at one point, I found an email address for somebody who works in publicity and marketing for CBS, and I emailed her and I was like, "Hey, we're gonna do this podcast, and I think it has like a decent chance mm-hmm. of uh, building an audience based on our prior track record." Um, what do you guys think about like getting us an episode, the episodes like, you know, a week early so that we can have the podcast come out, you know, right on the heels. Like you can set an embargo or whatever, but it would, you know, make our lives easier. And I think that because we're making this show, there'll be people that get interested in discovery and (laughs) could not have been less interested in that idea. I love that you appealed to a network employee's sense of like... Doing us a solid. It would really make our lives easier if... <laughs> well, I think... I'm going to go out on a limb and say, based on the fact that we have, like, I don't know, a little bit under 20,000 listeners, maybe, I bet at least a 1,000 of those would never have paid CBS a nickel to watch this show. Yeah. You yeah, know? I can see that. That's my guess. <laughs> a 20th of our audience... Uh, wouldn't what do you think of that, CBS? Yeah. We basically gave you four thousand dollars. How much? Try know? not to spend it all in one place. Yeah, you couldn't fucking break off a DVD for your friends Ben and Adam. <laughs> Fuck you! Like that's uh, that's Sheldon's bow tie budget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got we got snubbed. Even in in a, in the screener category, we got snubbed on hosting the uh, the deep in the pocket after show. Yeah, just the whole thing was largely an exercise in humility for us. <laughs> so much of what we do is Ben. <laughs> well, do you want to work on uh, recapping the episode we just watched, Adam? Yeah, I sure do. We just watched it for the second time. It's season one, episode eleven. The wolf inside. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Those Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Shit. Haven't the slightest idea. Uh, we had a kind of spooky opening to this one. It was a uh, nameless crew person doing some, uh, like some electrical work on uh, one of the decks on, on the disco, still heavily 
compromised by its surprise jump into the into the MU. A real universal sense of dread, the idea of working alone in a place without much power and things are flickering. It's yeah. a real haunted house vibe here. Yeah, it's the uh it's the abandoned insane asylum feeling that uh that you try to evoke in a haunted house. Yeah, it's really true. Boom! Exit to your left. And, um, you know, not detracting from that at all is uh, is Paul Stamets on the floor of the med bay uh, saying crazy things into the, into the, you know, <laughs> into the ether. And uh, this... Did, did you sense that the damage in this area was caused by Ash during his flea after breaking... Uh, Culber's neck. I don't. Yeah, that's a question that uh, occurred to me because I don't know why. Like, I feel like if Ash Tyler snaps a neck and then goes and trashes a hallway, yeah, people are gonna notice. Sure, <laughs> but he he, we do have some unaccounted for time in between uh, murdering Culber and getting on that transporter pad. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe. Yeah, unclear. Um. Stamets is uh, has like crawled off the bio bed and found Culber's body and is uh, is cradling it and uh, it's a really sad image because we know that Stamets didn't have anything to do with it, um, but the like anybody looking at that not having seen the scene we saw would leap to the conclusion that Stamets like milky eyed Stamets is so detached from reality that he snapped his boyfriend's neck. Right, and there's some argument about that between Tilly and Saru. Right. Tilly comes down on the side of Stamets wasn't it wasn't in his own mind, so right. he can't be responsible for it. Like maybe he technically snapped Culber's neck, but he can't be blamed for snapping Culber's neck. And even if and but Tilly also makes the case that it may not be Stamets at all, at which point Saru says, Well, we may have a case of intervessel homicide. Yeah. And then cue the clunk clunk of the Law and Order <laughs> theme at that point. I uh, I tried to join my my uh, intramural uh, <laughs> ultimate frisbee team when I was in college, but I didn't even realize that intravessel homicide was an option. Right. That's uh that's one of the great patches for your letterman's jacket. <laughs> H. <laughs> so um, we get a little bit of a captain's log, an ersatz captain's log from Michael Burnham, who is on the ISS Shenzhou, which uh, they've really gone hard with the fog machine on the Shenzhou for this episode. Right. And uh, she's saying, you know, she's basically telling her diary that it is no fun being over here. It's really hard to portray herself as the heartless, mm -hmm. uh, evil person that she's impersonating. Atmospherically, they're doing a lot here during the log. Yeah. They're showing us a lot of the ship. I would have assumed that if you and me and maybe a room full of people were coming up with the creative for what the mirror universe looks like. Yeah. That one of the words on the list may be dirty mm -hmm. or unkempt or bloody or savage. But right. for as savage... like Yeah. For as savage as everyone is in this universe, it is also almost impossibly clean and glossy and surgical. Yeah. But black surgical. Right. Like where, where in a hospital environment, things would be white. In On this ship, it's, it's a gloss black. It's like kink dungeon surgical. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah. It's the... Uh, it's a, it's a real trend on home and garden television right now. Yeah. We want kind of an open concept, Kinji. <laughs> with a kink dungeon surgical aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the things they, they tease visually and then pay off almost immediately is the idea of a giant bathtub <laughs> in Michael Burnham's quarters. Yeah. Mirror Universe Michael Burnham has a real different relationship with Mirror Universe Seru. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, uh, and Seru is the... Um, I guess like the body man, the maybe like her major domo even. 
as as captain. She has a a slave who gives her neck massages while she takes baths. It's weird. Like I, Saru, who who is nameless in this episode. What is your name? A, a slave has no name. Did you expect his ganglia to just be permanently out in this universe? I kind of <laughs> thought so. Yeah, in the mirror universe, they come out in front. <laughs> <laughs> Like a mustache, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Zoidberg. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think it would feel being nude in front of an alien? Because I feel like being nude in front of a human is weird because it's a human, and they know the corresponding parts. Right, but dogs do it all the time, man. They don't care. Yeah, they're Does, just they're if, just hanging dog dung. <laughs> yeah. If I was in front of Seru right now, would I feel weird about disrobing to take a shower? Man, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe if we both were disrobing at the same time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so should should I start unbuttoning? <laughs> uh, speaking of... Michael Burnham's like, I'm not getting in this bath without you. <laughs> speaking of uh, nudity or things that are nudity adjacent, I was <laughs> very surprised to see that Michael Burnham sleeps in the same kind of negligee that I do. <laughs> I'll never not think of that now. <laughs> Do you think that's uh, canonical Burnham, or is that mirror universe Burnham? And she's like, this asshole would probably sleep like this. There are a lot of tropey scenes that you get with uh, movies where two people switch places, <laughs> sort of like the parent trap, where there almost always is the moment where they look into the closet that isn't theirs, and they see all the things that they should wear that they aren't used to. (laughs) And I wonder if there was ever that moment in this episode where she sort of inspects her quarters and sees the weird tub (laughs) and sees the negligee and all of the other things. Opens the drawer on the bedside table and sees the weird dildo. Yeah. like I would never buy that. (laughs) It's just a drawer of clamps. (laughs) Yeah, and instead they're sort of uh, slowly doling these things out. Yeah. But because but because they do it this way, you don't ever see the the full impact of like the entire like the life that someone builds around themselves in a location is often full of bric-a-brac right. and stuff. But you don't really see too much of that from in Mirror Universe Burnham's quarters. Yeah, you get the sense that she's really spending a lot of time studying Mirror Universe because she can, like, quote from the regs book what General Order Number 4 is for the Imperial Starfleet. This episode, I think, was one of the weaker episodes in how it doled out its exposition. Yeah. It felt very character-turned-to-camera to explain to dumb viewer what's going on instead of having the characters have that conversation in a more natural way. And the general order part was the part specifically that felt that way to me. Yeah, it really felt like a bad, like, mid-2000s action movie idea. Right, when Nick Cage uh, describes what sarin gas does. Right. (laughs) In in a way that, like, no scientist should have to tell another scientist what that does. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's exactly what I was grasping for. (laughs) I'm glad you connected connected the dots for me. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? We've encountered them. Those Klingons? Uh, So we got kind of two storylines in this episode. One is that the uh, Imperial Starfleet has discovered the staging area that the resistance, uh, the alien resistance is using to... Uh, to plan their war on the Imperial Starfleet. And it's uh, the Shenzhou's job to go drop some bombs on it and uh, wipe it off the map. And then the other storyline is Tilly pushing real hard to take over for the medical team on uh, bringing Stamets back to good health. She says, this is a spore problem, and there's nobody more qualified to solve a spore problem on the ship than me. On the Prime Universe Discovery that's in the Mirror Universe, you see in this episode a lot of going back and forth uh, with their costumes. Yeah. 
Tilly seems to be the one that exists in the middle, though. She keeps her hair sort of half-tied and half-dropped. and Yeah, that hair has got to be a real ordeal to get to get done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I suppose if you need to be on the FaceTime at a moment's notice, you sort of have to be ready to be on camera in a moment's notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's... Uh... She's 90% camera ready at all times. But it, I think it serves to visually give her a little more heft and confidence yeah. whenever we see her. Because if this was four episodes ago, Tilly making the case to Saru that she wants to be the point person on a medical thing, mm-hmm. it would be hard to take her seriously. But after having seen her become captain in this universe and then... Uh, just to live in the experience of having had uh, some command for a time, I think it, I think it makes it more credible when she does this. Yeah, she's she's you know taking a lot of the a lot of the bad stuff and leaving it at the door, but uh, borrowing some of the good stuff about yeah. evil Tilly. Yeah, Killy, <laughs> crooked Tilly. <laughs> yeah. So the case that she makes is basically like this is because of something to do with the mycelial network that that uh, his eyes are all milked out and he's all effed up. We need to get all these pink things out of his brain. (laughs) His eyes are so milky, Luke Skywalker wants to drink them. (laughs) Yeah, Luke Skywalker wants to drink them to alienate his friend. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, here at at Sketchfest spent a little time with John Hodgman the other day, and uh, I told him that we'd, we'd been asked to defend the new Star Wars movie. A couple of times on Twitter, and he just looked gobsmacked. Like, why? And I was like, I don't know, because we make a star thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, I interpreted a... his reaction as, "Why would anyone ask you your opinion?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm John Hodgman. Yeah. They should be asking me. Yeah, here's my opinion. <laughs> uh, I think I need to meet Mirror Universe Ben and find some confidence, you know? Yeah, maybe start doing your hair a little differently. (laughs) Yeah, I need it to be, like, real chopped off on one side and much longer on the other side. A little bit of a half bob on Tilly. (laughs) Yeah. Bob is really the power haircut, isn't it? Yeah, at least in in this show it is. Because there's a chain of command... Michael Burnham has to, like, check in both with the ship and with Lorca when she is going to pursue a course of action, which is, like, I didn't even think about this last episode, but, like, there is a huge amount of trust being extended to Michael Burnham by Lorca in this adventure because he is totally incapacitated in the agonizer booth the entire time that he's on board this ship and just gets little updates from her and, like, is essentially counseling her on how to proceed. I don't know why this thought came to mind, but it it feels like what Lorca is doing is he has the amount of trust that a magician has. Uh-huh. Like, a, like Houdini dunked in a booth of water upside down, like, wrapped in chains and handcuffs. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of trust between a magician and his handlers to save his life the if guy they with have the to. The axe that goes through the glass. Yeah, if if they have to intervene, and this felt a lot like that to me. Like he is utterly powerless. He's depending on Michael to save his life if she has to, or let him die if she has to. Right. For the sake of the act. Right. Yeah, he has. Uh... <laughs> There's a, there's some so they're they're supposed to go down and like they're basically ordered to just go blow up this planet but she's she says well this is where the resistance headquarters is like I want to see what mm-hmm. see what intel we, we can glean first so get a get a landing party ready we're gonna go in with uh, imperial walkers and and uh, adats <laughs> and. Uh, and so, and then she like goes and you know clears out the brig and has a one on one with Lorca, and he's like, "Don't do it that way. Like, go in just as a two man crew, you and Ash Tyler." And um, this is like another instance of him have like he he initially is just like, "Yeah, blow the fucking planet up. Who cares? Like, right. we got bigger fish to fry than like involving ourselves in their conflict." And uh, another instance of Lorca like making a decision and then being persuaded. Uh, against his own decision by a back-talking Michael Burnham, who 
makes the case that the resistance is like the is the closest thing in this universe to Starfleet and we are naturally friends to their ethos even though we're humans they're they're you know ecumenical and uh and will take any comers and are aliens working together for the cause of peace and freedom for a long time the urgency to get back to the prime universe was about delivering the cloak technology to Starfleet so that they can win the war strategically. Mm -hmm. But in this case, what Michael Burnham is doing is establishing a plan B. Like, there is another way to win this war, she's positing. It may be diplomatic, and a way to figure out how to be diplomatic is to see how Klingons and Vulcans and Andorians and Tellarites are able to form a coalition in this way? Like, is there something that she can learn from their relationship to bring back in the event that they can't transmit this information? Like, I thought that was an interesting way to play the poker of the, of the mission that I was not expecting. Yeah. I got a little bogged down in the George W. Bush-like language she uses to describe them the coalition of hope oh yeah <laughs> um, well, i didn't quite see it for for that but i think that's a great point i mean like she's taking a flyer on that idea because everything is a little bit on its ear over here like if voke is a big if is a big peace man then that's uh like you're not necessarily going to be able to like one to one Trans- transfer what you've learned from mirror voke to to uh prime voke <laughs> i would love to see the shepherd fairy poster of just an andorian with a tripod mounted <laughs> uh, bazooka <laughs> shooting at the ground that ash and michael beam down to <laughs> the, the uh yeah they beam down to the planet and it's like it's like the thing where where like a cattle rustler shoots the ground near your feet, yeah, uh, to stop you from going anywhere in the old west. Except for they're using like anti tank ordnance, right? <laughs> it's like a little bit overkill, guys. Yeah, they're getting blown up down here, and it doesn't take long for Michael to convince Ash that they need to drop their weapons and sort of give themselves over to them. Yeah. So that they don't get exploded. Yeah. I don't want to explode, Tyler. Let's throw our little pistols on the <laughs> on the ground. It's a good thing this was the plan because they were outgunned from from the jump. Right. Yeah. Like You'd... this could have been a smash cut to end title. <laughs> yeah, they would need a Rambo like amount of war proficiency to 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 defend themselves against what is happening to them. Yeah. Um, the Coalition of Hope HQ is, uh, cleverly defended by a cloaking shield. Uh, they beam down, like, right next to it, but it's, um, it's invisible to them initially. So they, uh, they go in and there's kind of a Patachlan group. Issue one! Led by Voke, and Voke is, um, in this, he, what is he called, the... Firewolf or something like that. Right. <laughs> Very colorful names. Sarek <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just goes by Sarek, and every, no one can understand why. Like, you know you could choose a name, right? We this all is have what cool we do. nicknames, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he calls for the prophet, and Sarek comes out. I was really hoping for a Ferengi to come out. Sure. Uh, a Ferengi, like a like Marcus Lemonis and Ferengi loaf. <laughs> what do you think a uh, disco Ferengi loaf would look like? Like ears, ears so fucking big, like <laughs> elephant size ears. <laughs> like they have to go through doors sideways because the ears are so extreme. Well, we know they're socialists, right? <laughs> In the mirror universe, they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The scene here is that, like, Voke doesn't initially think he can trust Michael Burnham because Michael Burnham's moniker is the butcher of the binary stars. And um, and so to prove that she can be trusted, she uh, submits to a mind meld. 
And it's really, this was like maybe the most interesting part of the episode to me because we've we've had a lot of world building on mind melds for a long, like that is a very long standing mechanic in Star Trek. And I have always felt like mind meld gives you like a crystal clear, like subjective picture of what's going on in somebody else's head. And this made me think that it's more impressionistic and mm. more kind of like just the kind of like emotional gestures of what's going on in their head. Right. Uh, but I wonder because what Sarah, you know, what Sarah sees in, in his little, <laughs> in the little montage that show when he mind melds with Prime Burnham is, you know, Prime Burnham's childhood. Uh, having been raised by Sarek, but what he then reports to Mirror Voke is, she's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pictures that Sarek is given are these elliptical scenes of Michael Burnham's childhood as they're connected to Sarek's life, and he doesn't betray any feeling about seeing pictures of where I'm thinking he may have lived <laughs> or a woman that he may or may not know in the mirror universe as his wife. Well, uh, she is Spock's mommy, right? Yeah. Like biologically. So he must know her in this universe because Spock is in the mirror universe. Right. With that crazy facial hair. But uh, he says nothing about that. You're right. All he, I mean, he, he's, he very abstractly just says, yeah, she's, you can trust her. Did he also raise Mirror Universe Michael Burnham? I don't think we can know that. Yeah. I mean, well, if he had, then I think he would believe her to be extremely dangerous, right? He couldn't so. have raised her. I don't know. Because he doesn't recognize her as as his adopted daughter. Either he doesn't recognize her or he's got a great poker face. Do not play poker with Sarek. I wish we were on After Trek, and then I could ask the question, and then whoever wrote the scene could be like, I can't tell you. <laughs> it's so cute when they do that. <laughs> it's so cute when they do that ten times. <laughs> this is also the scene where, at the mention of Gillich, <laughs> Ash Tyler uh, loses his composure and attempts to batleth Voke. Uh, because the Voke here in this universe represents everything that that the secret Voke within Ash Tyler hates. Yeah. Which is uh, cooperation, being cool with other aliens. uh. (laughs) Not being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He goes so far as to headbutt him. Like, it's interesting to see Ash Tyler fight like a Klingon against a Klingon. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, but one point of continuity I didn't enjoy was that Ash Tyler should be bloodied after that headbutt especially, and he's he's not even swollen. Yeah, yeah. I I read this on the Reddit, and I uh, I think that they got it from After Trek, but it it has been Shazad Latif the entire time mm-hmm. uh, playing Voke, mm-hmm. and the the name Javid Iqbal is his father's name. In the first episode since we came back from break, when he s- starts talking Voktok, uh, I was, like, convinced that they were looping in right. somebody else's voice. Right, I felt the same way. Effect. And he's doing that. That's f- fucking super impressive. He does the stuff in the margins, which is, you know, as Ash Tyler, he speaks with an an unencumbered human accent. And then as Voke, he speaks as a naturally born Klingon. But to middle that also as the Firewolf, yeah. you know, he's, he's speaking... Uh, English as a second language, <laughs> Klingon as a Klingon, and there's a there's another form of pronunciation that he's capable of there, which I thought was, and it's like capital A, a acting. It's the same accent that Laurel has when she speaks English. Right. It's not just can you can you talk like you may be in the middle of these two cultures. It's actually do a third and a fourth thing. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. 
We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Those are Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? What is this? I mean, like, there's a lot to like about this episode. Probably my least favorite episode so far. Yeah. But maybe uh, I'm jumping the gun by saying that, but... There were parts of this episode that made it hard to truly like, and one of the parts happened at the end of this scene, which was uh, Ash Tyler finally breaks in a way that uh, that almost ruins a mission. Right. Michael Burnham is put in a position behind enemy lines to figure out what to do about this problem. And they just sort of walk out of the camp having made the deal with firewolf about like look i gotta make it look like i destroy you give me some of your intel so i can take it back make it look like a successful mission but clear out in an hour because this place is going to be ashes at that point right not ashes tyler (laughs) but literal ashes yeah ashes tyler going to courts martial i fully expected a dressing down outside of the camp i thought it was insane that they beam back to the ship without saying anything to each other they re- there is a lot of tension in this episode around the fact that we don't get the confrontation for a long time they beam back they uh you know she gives the the uh usb thumb drive to what's her nose she says you're with me tyler and then we cut back to disco right and on disco uh, Tilly is is uh, has put Stamets back in the Spock box, and it's her and Saru in engineering uh, pursuing a theory that she just expositions to death. <laughs> Go pipes, <laughs> which is that uh, that she's going to use spores to get Stamets back into uh, into reality. Her theory is centered around the fact that Stamets mistook her for the captain when uh, when he was merely symptomatic uh, uh, about this spore drive thing. It felt to me like uh, if Stamets was a goldfish, you win at uh, the county fair who got out of its bowl. Like <laughs> there's, they sort of cram Stamets back in the booth and put more goldfish water in in the form of these spores. Sure. Like the idea being that they can they can healthify him. By right. by injecting him full of these spores, it's it's a bit like facile and simplistic. It's kind of like what happened with with. I Vipper. know what my what my metaphor was, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to tell me my example was facile. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's our brand here. Yeah, uh, like what it's like exactly what they did with Ripper, just like yeah. open one of those cans and dump it on him. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they they could have gone so far as to just flashback. Right. She's like, hey, you remember when there was this pink stuff in Ripper? We're getting the pink stuff out of Stamets by dumping some blue stuff. <laughs> pink stuff's making a comeback in a big, big way. <laughs> but uh, it's not. it doesn't go well. And I think that this scene maybe suffered from the fact that they have established no other medical personnel on Disco. Like, we've... We've we see that there are other medical personnel, but we like they aren't characters with lines. Like we don't get anything uh, about them. And Saru has taken taken the the case away from these people and given it to Cadet Tilly, like somebody who is like super low rank and you know, like. Could you imagine being? Like working at a hospital and like you're an attending. Yeah. And uh, we're giving and, it to the plumber, the, the plumber's yeah. assistant. Like that plumber's assistant has a real interest in medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should give him a shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there is, like there's a chief medical officer that we've heard referred to on Discovery. Right. Like there is a Beverly Crusher to pitch a fit about this course of action. Where is she? Why have, why didn't we get that scene? It feels like a character economy problem. Like right. we we don't have time for another right backstory to we, introduce. We would have had to introduce that character way earlier in the series, right. so that we kind of know what they're about and what what motivates them, and that you know, because because this would just be them saying no, 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 and then being overruled, which is like a nothing character. Sure, but if we like really like believe in their. You know, if they if they get a chance to save the cat in episode three, then them coming back for this would be really meaningful. Right. Um, unfortunately, it 
is like it it is almost like Seru and Tilly are the only people that are working on the discovery in this episode. Yeah. Like Laurel never Except pops for up. the person in the very first scene, the electrician. <laughs> it's just the three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else, you know, like we've been working hard. Take a break. Why don't you guys take some shuttles and uh, cut to the to- lunchroom and it is just packed. <laughs> it's the same party yeah. over again. <laughs> Remember that party? Do you think they went to Mirror Universe Risa? God, what do you think Mirror Universe Risa is? It's probably a labor camp. That Horgon does not have a flared base on Mirror Universe Risa. Yeah. It's just That's hate- going all the way in. <laughs> Buyer beware. <laughs> So yeah, they uh, they're working on this, and uh, it goes pretty good. It seems like it's working, and then it stops working, and Stamets cardiac arrests, and Tilly is is like, no, like we need to keep going, even though he's dead. We need to keep pursuing this t- therapy. And Sarah's like, no. Tilly gestures to the screen, which shows like the Galaxy Brain meme. Yeah, she's like, look, he's <laughs> on his way to Galaxy Brain. If you just leave him in there. <laughs> Now everybody knows that Stamets is now dead. What my theory presupposes is he's not sick anymore. (laughs) Uh, She has a little, she sheds a couple of tears uh, when the medical personnel rush into this box box and fail to, fail to resuscitate. And uh, I was 0% convinced that Stamets was not going to come back at that moment. Did you did you watch that scene and and think that we had just lost Stamets as well? The thing that I was thinking of most in that scene was just how much like how much Stamets was dead before that and how in many ways, it could be seen as a relief for him to finally die mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, beating him into being awake. <laughs> there was something in uh, in Mary Wiseman's performance that felt very true and powerful. But yeah. I was with No, you. it's not the performance that's the problem at yeah. all. It's, it's like the it's way... It's what can we believe. Right. And yeah, there's... I, I definitely felt that way. Yeah. This... Uh... I don't know. I, I like it. Also, happens early enough in the episode that I'm like, okay, so this storyline's just over. Bullshit. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, well, anyways, we cut back to the very smoky quarters that Michael Burnham is staying in, where she confronts Ash Tyler, and this is a real interesting dialogue scene because it's a dialogue that is kind of intercut with the same torture porn that we've gotten when he's had his traumatic flashbacks and things. Right. It's sort of the chiaroscuro of character. Like, we get to see him go from fully Ash Tyler to fully Voke. I think that, like, I I liked it more the second time I watched it, because that, like, initially, it's Ash Tyler saying, like, it's not... Like, he's confessing that he sweats Laurel, Initially, which is an interesting place for him to start the conversation. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's less that I'm not who I say I am, and more almost of a breakup with Michael. Yeah, and I think that, it, and I, I was like, "What is this scene?" When I first yeah. watched it, but when I watched it the second time, I was thinking more that it's uh, his kind of grasping at straws, his character's imperfect understanding of what has happened to him, yeah, and trying to interpret the like the parts of Vogue that splash over into the Ash Tyler psyche that yeah. he actually has access to, which I guess is kind of the way he interpreted the, like his time on Laurel's ship. Like, like he felt guilt and the like feelings of violation right. as Ash Tyler, but it wasn't really Ash Tyler in the driver's seat for those things. Right. Uh, so, so kind of, kind of more interesting on a on a rewatch to me. But uh, yeah, by the end he is just he's just full Voke and full like I'm gonna choke you out because you found me out. It's a real Edward Norton from Primal Fear sort of moment because it 
the way that this scene is shot is also different from other scenes that take place in this room. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a real beginning, middle, and end to his transformation. It's something you could only shoot close to make look good because if you shot that scene wide and Ash Tyler's doing all his neck jerking and stuff, <laughs> that's going to look cartoonish. But when you square, when you shoot symmetrically and like square up with him, it's it's yeah. really powerful. I think maybe they cut one too many neck jerks into this. Yeah, it like it it comes on a little thick. Uh, for my taste. They force a little perspective, too, with him. Like, they make him look far larger and more imposing than he is uh, typically yeah. when they're together. It also undercuts the threat I feel from any character when they cut to wide and I see those dumb shoes they have them wearing. Yeah. Well, I I thought... Uh, I thought they were going to use the tub in the fight scene. I really <laughs> felt like it was Tub of Damocles. Yeah, yeah. It'd be cool if Disco said, like, you know, a lot of other Star Trek series have made it their signature to smash glass tables. We're going to smash tubs. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Give give me that tub smashing. Uh, One thing we know about Voke is that he's kind of a dum-dum. Yeah. Like, we had a whole conversation between him and Laurel, like, hey, I'm kind of dumb and you're kind of smart. Why you hang out with me? Yeah. And I think that there's... From Jump, he has had that rep. Yeah. I think there's uh, something pretty cool about them like embracing the truth of that, that once Voke is back in the driver's seat, he makes bad strategic decisions. Right. Like, like what he should have done, like, if he's Voke, is, like, do everything he can to convince Michael Burnham that this is just another symptom of PTSD. Mm-hmm. It's, like... It's like they're getting fewer and farther between. Like it's not going to happen. He's got to lay back in the cut. I'll, I'll I'll go talk to Admiral Bob when we get back to the world and sort myself out. I am so sorry that this compromised, uh, you know, almost compromised that mission. Instead, he's just like, I'm going to strangle you now. <laughs> Especially if his mission for being is like installing racial purity in the Klingon yeah. culture. He see, like there's an opportunity for him to do that if he somehow stops himself from from being killed, like yeah. and laying back in the cut and not outing himself in this moment is the way to do that. Yeah, Voke is not a a seasoned practitioner of subtlety, right? So, right. so it looks like uh, this is going to get. Uh, this is Michael Burnham about to get choked out. She she goes for Vulcan neck pinch, and he he grabs her hand like an inch away, which I really liked. Like you just got to keep her hand away from that neck. <laughs> that's her only that's her only move. And uh, she's she's like clinging to life, and uh, and slave Seru comes in and tosses Ash Tyler Voke across the room. You know that. There's a great distance between the door and the fight. Yeah. You know he closed that distance in like four steps. <laughs> yeah. He just galloped over there. <laughs> I was I could have used a mule kick there, mm. TBH. Yeah. Yeah. Get up on those hands and just... Yeah. Bo- <laughs> right just, out the window. Yeah, boot him out the window. <laughs> <laughs> the defenestration of Voke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a universe where killing the captain can get you a great job. Yeah. But it's also really bad to kill the captain. So Well now I feel like now I feel like I might have been wrong in my assessment that uh Voke slash Tyler oh, yeah. was dumb to to come out and make an attempt on Michael Burnham's life. Like maybe his his dumb plan was instead a smart plan. And if he were able to kill Michael Burnham, he would assume the command of the ship and be able to to continue his mission. He got caught monologuing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... That ruins a lot of bad guys' plans. <laughs> you never want someone walking in on you monologuing, Ben. Part... Yeah, no. <laughs> my, my mom walked in on me in this very room one time when I was 16, and <laughs> I've never been able to look her in the eye ever since. I really should have put down uh, a towel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're recording this in my parents' house. What? 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 What's happening? What? No! What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? 
the the thing I guess we failed to mention early on is that they have like she has this USB drive of information about the Defiant, the other Prime Universe starship that is here in the Mirror Universe, and this is encrypted data that the Imperial Starfleet has collected on Prime Universe Defiant, and they're they're thinking that like un you know disentangling the crypto on this and reading the book will give them an edge in either finding the Defiant or figuring out how to transition back and forth between universes. So uh, she's been unable to like work on that project from the Shenzo. So uh, she uh, she like does the pickpocket move of planting that chip on Ash Tyler before they beam him <laughs> into space. Yeah, a, a form of execution that they showed early on in this episode where they beamed uh, three rabble rousers out into space yeah. in order to kill them. Pretty rugged. Yeah, that shit is... No joke. So she beams... It's really unclear to me where all these ships are in relation to each other. I think maybe in this series, like the back half of the series especially, like like it seems like the disco is far from the Shenzhou, but maybe it's like really close and they're like not aware or... Like how are they beaming... Because, you know, Ash Tyler basically materializes in space and then gets beamed onto the disco. So the disco's got to be... A certain proximity, right? Within transporter range. Right. Which has always felt to me to be uh, to be a lot like periscope depth. Like, yeah. you got to be pretty close right. to do that. But it's also like a conveniently squishy yeah. range. Like, <laughs> yeah, the fuck is going on? <laughs> I mean, and the idea that uh, Michael herself is the one to transport him could also mean that uh, that she's able to... Yeah. Transport him in, in such a way that calls attention to the disco and its ability to to yeah. snatch him up before he expires out there because he is out in space for a couple of seconds and it's not looking good for him. She must have have blown a call into Seru, right, and explained yeah. like, okay, we've got we've like solved the what's going on with Ash Tyler problem, and you know what would have been interesting is if. Uh, is if we cut to Six Bay where a recently out in space Ash Tyler is recovering and the other three people who were beamed out into space are there too. Oh, that would be cool. As if there was just a standing order to, hey, I'm on a ship where we're killing people by flinging them out the window. Yeah. If you could scoop them up, that would be, you know, a the good... The right thing a, to do. Yeah. Like, if that were a thing, it would it would give this scene a lot of logical sense that it doesn't have right now. Yeah. It's, I interrupted your point, though, with that. I'm sorry. I got excited. I, I wasn't making a point. I liked your point. <laughs> I'm just sitting here. What did you describe my example as before? <laughs> Fuck you. I wasn't describing your example as that. <laughs> I'm just sitting here looking at you drink that coffee and wishing I had remembered to bring my coffee downstairs. Mm. <sighs> you don't want the acid tum that I have right now. Mm. The... Uh, the button on the episode, Ben, is back on the bridge. Yeah. They get an incoming transmission from the ship that has rained torpedoes down on the camp prematurely. Yeah. It looks as though uh, the mission is a failure. The secret mission is a failure, I should say. Right. Uh, because they, the camp was not given the hour that they were promised to evacuate. So it's unclear if anyone survived the bombardment. Right. And... Uh... Michael Burnham is like in the ready room with Lorca talking over what next when this happens and she like runs out on the bridge like no 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 Todd Todd you guys okay as the explosions like light their faces up they get a hail from the ship that is doing it the it, sound design of that orbital bombardment I thought was one of the highlights of the episode it it yeah. sounded terrifying to me. It is terrifying. It's one of those things that I get bumped by as a nerd. I'm always like, I want me sounds in space. Sure, <laughs> sure. Like, I, you know, it's more fun, more fun and, like, dramatic when you have sound. But yeah. But I'm always uh, <laughs> a little taken out of it. Uh, Noted space pedant, yeah. Benjamin R. Harrison writes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 3D FaceTime flickers on and... Uh, I think you called this, Adam. 
the emperor is Giorgio. I wasn't alone in that uh, presupposition. No, but... How did you feel? We'll know how I feel when we get right. more of what that character is, because it seems like she has a just as intimate relationship with Mirror Universe Michael Burnham as Prime Universe Giorgio and Burnham had. Right. Uh, which is... She is in full Dragon Ball Z cosplay, though. <laughs> like, that's an empire collar on yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. She's she, like, is she a Dracula in this universe? She's kind of Draken. She's half Drac. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's like, you guys think you have elaborate breastplates? Yeah. No. Yeah. We end the episode, like, with this uh, with this emperor who is, like... Almost pissed enough to, like, take Michael out of command, which would be kind of a big problem because she'd be separated from Lorca, it seems like. There's a real competitive thing in this universe for kills. Yeah. And she has that, she expresses that feeling again here, which is like, why do I got, why do I get your kills? You should be doing the killing because I ordered you to do these kills. Yeah. Do I look like I want to warp around killing people that you should be killing? Right. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, we'll find out more next week, I guess. Did you like this episode, Adam? I think what happened is that, um, I made the mistake of going into this episode really excited and full of expectations about its quality, given how, given the trajectory of the season so far. Right. And one of the reasons that I really like this series, and I have liked this series from Jump, is because I've gone into it with very few expectations. Right. Allowing myself to be, you know, pleasantly surprised and and happy with it. So in saying that, I'm saying like I was I did not enjoy this episode as much as I have before, but I don't know if that's just a personal problem right. or if there were I mean, we both talked out a few of the deficiencies in the ep, but I don't know that those are great enough to truly make it like a bad episode or anything. It feels a little bit like a familiar thing. Like, we've talked about this on uh, our Deep Space Nine series that we're currently running on The Greatest Generation. Like, in that first season, there's a couple episodes where you're like, oh, man, this has so much potential. And then the next episode will be the worst episode. Right, right. Uh, Which I feel like happened in season one of TNG also. Like, you start to, like, get a glimpse of what this show is capable of, and then they roll out the, the worst script that they got that season. Yeah. Every season has episodes like this, though, where you just need to take a step back and do a little more exposition before going forward again. Yeah, yeah. This episode is, it, it's like, it's chewy, like a piece of connective tissue, because that's what it is. At the same time, though... I don't want to make a facile <laughs> metaphor, but... <laughs> at the same time, so much happens. I mean, this episode will always be remembered as the episode where the Ash Invoke thing is confirmed. Right. It's the episode where we know Giorgio's the Emperor. It's the episode where it's disclosed what the Rebel Alliance is and who their leader is. Mm-hmm. We we get some really massive pieces of information here, which yeah. should make it, you know, when you when you do a story outline, it looks like on paper this is going to be a gonna great be episode. Crazy episode, yeah. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I'm not feeling like this is the best of the series that we've gotten so far. Yeah. Fun to see a bunch of different aliens. Like, I've been wanting to see an Andorian in this universe. Yeah. And I'm glad we finally got to. We saw him behind a giant gun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't really know anything about Tellarites, but those were fun to look at, too. Yeah. Um, I like their tusks. I like a rebel encampment set. Yeah. Those are fun. There seems to be, like, a really well-established visual language for rebel encampment set. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the part that I really loved was the, um, if you've ever worked in a grocery store, there's like a back freezer with the dangly plastic <laughs> things to keep the uh, to keep the cool air in. Yeah. Like, that was their door for the encampment. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, should we see if we have any Priority One messages, Adam? Yeah, let's check them. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, we have one Priority One message here on the show today. It is from Manfred, 
and it is to woman in pigtails being hit in face with raw hot dogs dot gif. <laughs> I love that gif. That's one of the great gifs. Yeah. I've always wanted to send that gif a, a message. That should really be the logo to this show. <laughs> it goes like this. The marbles fall. Amanda enacts her flurry revenge. The bloof drips freely from a binturong bite. Your mind melds with the nearest koala, its face freshly punched. Is it whiskey night? The slither of tentacles turns you on. Perhaps a lovely clementine or some hearty kale will sate your appetite. Les amis de la salle de chat beckon. Are you dropped? I'm sure glad you were the one to read that one, Ben. I'm glad that we did the Manchurian test on you before we started recording, Adam, because that could have triggered something. <laughs> you could have jumped over this table and choked me out. And there's no Seru in this house to save me. <laughs> well, if you'd like to <laughs> baffle your hosts and send a message to our listeners, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And they're one of the ways that we support the production of this program. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I going to have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies, either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
Ben, with all that being said, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did, Adam. Um, my Shimoda in this episode is Saru for uh, the way he plays getting Ash Tyler back aboard after beaming him out of space. Like, it really came together great for Michael Burnham. She found a great way to get the guy that wants to kill her off of the ship that she's on and also get the secret data back to the disco so that they can crack the code. Um, but, like, Seru reaches into his pocket and gets the, the isolinear chip and then is like, uh, by the power vested in me as acting captain of this ship, you're going to be remanded to the brig until you can be uh, you can be put before... A military tribunal. For what, Saru? The crime of having had another personality injected into you? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, if any, if anybody made a mistake here, it's the people that signed off on Ash Tyler going back on active duty after he was on the prison ship. <laughs> like, he ain't did shit. <laughs> If having a bad surgery is against the law, half of L.A. would be in prison. (laughs) This has been Sick Burns on Ben's Hometown cast. (laughs) When I go to the... uh... When I go to the Tarzana Whole Foods, it's really remarkable (laughs) how much, like plastic surgery from the the early days yeah when they didn't really know what they were doing yet you see spelling era plastic surgery yeah it's really just like it's an episode of brazil <laughs> in the uh over there in the vegetable aisle <laughs> how'd uh, uh how'd you do w slash r slash t finding a drunk shimoda adam I think from the start the spirit of the drunk shimoda has been about finding the character or the actor that is expressing the idea of fun or doing something weird or notably uh discordant with things happening around this person yeah that's really hard to do for the last few episodes i feel like no one is having fun and it was a real challenge to find one in this episode but the moment that stuck out in my mind as being discordant with everything else was the scene where Empress Giorgio <laughs> appears on the bridge and Lorca is on the bridge as well. Yeah. And when Michael Burnham doesn't salute right away and is made to bow, yeah. they cut to Lorca and he kind of smirks. <laughs> He's like, there's an emotion there that feels out of place. Right. And I can't tell, and I don't know if we're supposed to tell at this point, whether that is um, an admonition of his true feelings. Right. If the smirk is is his character telling us, like, this is all according to plan, or, or if he's truly laughing at Michael Burnham. I think, like, the case has been made throughout the series that maybe Lorca belongs in this universe and he is doing what Voke should have done this episode, which is laying back extremely in the cut (laughs) and waiting for the right time to strike. And this could be an example of that too, but that moment was, they took the time to cut away to show Lorca doing that. Yeah. And that felt like something to call attention to. And maybe I'll use my drunk Shimoda time to make that my Shimoda. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, these mirror universe humans can't be all bad. They let a woman be in charge. One of the things we see at the end that we didn't discuss was uh, Prime Stamets running into mirror Stamets in yeah. his Imaginarium of of Spore, yeah. the Spore Forest. Yeah, he's been talking about trees for a long time. I thought he was just talking about weed, but... <laughs> and again... I just think like his performance is so awesome because these are two versions of himself and they're so the same and so different, you know. Yeah. Like he can he can really make a subtle tweak and have it have it really feel like a different guy. Mirror Stamets is using like a regular toothbrush, like a white toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, a white non-motorized toothbrush. Yeah. What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> yeah, I hope we get some I want a bottle episode uh, with the two Stamitzes, like maybe the buddy cop Stamitz <laughs> episode that I think they could do. 
Yeah. Like they could do an entire ep uh, in the forest. And I also really want the bottle episode of uh, Mirror Disco in Prime Universe. Yeah. Figuring itself out. We are running out of episodes for yeah. those fun, fun things to happen. Do you think we're going to stay in Mirror Universe the whole season? It kind of seems like we are. Yeah. Like, I guess my prediction is that there will be some some fun and games with the Emperor in the next episode, and then we'll have an episode where they, like, crack the code or meet the Defiant, and then an episode where it's all about them, like, doing the thing that it takes to get back, and then, like, maybe one last episode that's set in Prime Universe, and we find out, does Michael Burnham spend the rest of her life eating shit on a shingle in some prison somewhere, and we find out if... Ash Tyler can be can be saved from what the Klingons did to him. I think I'd be fairly satisfied if that's how things resolved. One thing I would add to that, though, is I have a creeping suspicion that Jason Isaacs might be a one-season person on this show. Hmm. I have no idea why I feel that way. It may just be that his does not seem like a character that can last forever indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, but I would, it would be, it'd be painful if you were gone from the show because I really, really like him as an actor. And I, I think there's room for bad guys in this show. And I think he makes a great one. Yeah. I think, uh, an interesting, an interesting thought experiment is a season where she gets some kind of presidential pardon and gets to be first officer again, but with Seru in the seat. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, they have so much baggage, but also have, despite that, kind of, like, gotten over together. And that would be an interesting way for them to go in the next season. But you know, right. we got a lot of we got a lot of show left, so maybe we're counting our eggs before they hatch. Yeah. Um, it looked like in the uh, little trailer for What's Next, we've got a lot of shuttle trips and a lot of Uh-oh. Imperial Palace stuff. Yeah. And uh, Giorgio has a sword. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, that'll be the next episode. Looking forward to it, Ben. Yeah. Take it away, Rob. We're done. <laughs> the Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison, and produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, and Adam is at CutForTime. And make sure to check out the Greatest Gin Reddit and Facebook groups if you're looking to continue the conversation even further. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.